Welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. We're continuing our Matter and Psyches series this week, and today my guest is Dr. Marilyn Schlitz, a social anthropologist, researcher, writer, and charismatic public speaker. She is a leader in the field of consciousness studies, and her research focuses, among other topics, personal and social transformation and mind-body medicine. Marilyn is currently the founder and CEO of Worldview Enterprises, and she is President Emeritus and Senior Fellow at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Marilyn is also a senior scientist at the California Pacific Medical Center, where she focuses on health and healing. Her most recent project, and the topic of our conversation today, is Death Makes Life Possible, a feature film that Marilyn wrote and co-produced with Deepak Chopra. The film bridges culture, science, and healing to show us how engaging with the topic of death and dying in a deep and meaningful way informs how we live our lives. It's a real privilege to have you on the program today, Marilyn. It's my honor. I'm I'm so grateful for your work on transformative practices. The book, Living Deeply, is one that I turn to periodically. And, of course, the Institute of Noetic Sciences has done so much to advance our understanding of consciousness and support the work of people who are out there on the margins and the edges of daily life, which is where many of us locate death, (laughs) isn't it? Somewhere on the periphery where we can pretend that it doesn't exist. I think that's very true. I think there's a huge denial in our culture, and I think that ultimately leads to a lot of suffering. So tell me about the primary themes or the ideas behind this film. It just premiered this spring. Is that right? That's right. Um, Death Makes Life Possible was uh, shown at the uh, Luminate Film Festival in Sedona, Arizona. And we're now moving out into the world with the film. It's really exciting and fun. And, you know, we'll be in Joshua Tree showing it in September and also uh, Tel Aviv that same weekend in Israel and uh, looking at taking it out to uh, a number of film festivals, including San Diego. Uh, it'll show at the San Diego Film Festival. So we're excited about that. The initial idea for the project came a long time ago. I actually think I taught my first class on um, the evidence for survival of consciousness after bodily death uh, in about 1980. So I've been interested in this topic for a long time and um, have taken it from different perspectives. Uh, this film actually was birthed in Sedona, Arizona, three years ago, to the day of when we uh, premiered it at the festival. And it was through uh, the workshop that Deepak Chopra was offering there. And his colleague, David Simon, had gotten sick, and I went in to kind of pinch hit. And I showed a 20-minute clip of interviews I had done with people from different cultures and wisdom traditions, scientists talking about um, the afterlife and, you know, what are the different belief systems and worldviews, uh, what is the scientific evidence 
uh, and how is it important in terms of how we live our lives and, and ultimately, you know, the nature of our healing. And in showing that, Deepak called me into his office and he said, let's make a movie. And I thought, well, how fun is that? You know, doesn't everybody want to make a movie with Deepak Chopra? And then I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and I was like, no way. Creating a, a feature with high production value, you know, it costs money and the fundraising seemed just ominous to me. And so I had lunch with him that day and he was like, oh, Marilyn, don't worry about the money. You know, the money will come. And, and sure enough, it did. Over the last three years, we had some very generous donors and we had um, a very successful Kickstarter campaign. Campaign and and finally completed it and uh, and so it really is looking at the worldviews surrounding death and what happens after and then uh, really following one person who actually died during the making of the film to you know understand his inspiration and his beliefs about what comes after. So in the film, we interviewed people from many of the world's wisdom and cultural traditions, different faith traditions, looking at what are the different cosmologies or models that people hold about death and what happens after, what's the nature of consciousness, is there a soul? Uh, and then we talked to scientists who are doing some very innovative, interesting research in laboratories as well as in clinical settings, looking at people's experiences at death and the caregivers' experiences of what happens to the person after death. And it's uh, been a very interesting, complex, and fascinating journey. It sounds like it, and it sounds like a very exhaustive look also at our current state of knowledge and orientation towards the experience of death. Because it really deals with different cultures, and I think it provides people, you know, a gateway into understanding some different worldviews. And I'm particularly motivated about the idea that I think there is, as Ernest Becker, who wrote the book Denial of Death, talks about this kind of existential terror that people have around their own mortality. And yet, that's not everybody. And so I think when you hear from people who don't have fear and have really developed a worldview that provides nourishment around their relationship to death uh, and imbues their life with great possibility, it's very inspiring for people. And then in addition to the, the film, which now is going out for community viewings, and we have it through um, specialty studios and the video project that are taking it out for educational purposes, uh, I also have a, a, a book that's a companion to it that'll come out in May of 2015 uh, through Sounds True, which also offers kind of a different perspective but complementary to what we explore in the film. I really like what you just said about seeing and understanding other people's perspectives and realizing that the things that you fear aren't necessarily feared by everyone. I did a program recently that had to do with the notion of life-affirming mythologies. And the underlying idea there was that there are some mythologies, you know, which I use that term to describe people's belief systems generally, uh, that embrace death and those that don't, and that it makes a big difference which one you're in. It sounds like this is exactly what you're 
talking about and what the film kind of can bring to people. It's actually quite interesting, the different traditions. And I, um, in terms of things that I learned or gleaned from it, the opportunity to learn about the various practices that people, traditions have developed to develop relationship with our own mortality and do that in a way that minimizes the kind of suffering that a lot of people report. So uh, really learning from, you know, traditions who use guided imagery or dreaming, art. Uh, there are many tools that people, you know, walking the labyrinth, we interviewed Lauren Artris at Grace Cathedral and learned some of the history and the ways in which the labyrinth can be a tool for grief. Uh, it's been a very illuminating exercise and, and really heartful. Mm -hmm. When I think about this, I locate the more positive relationships to death in Eastern philosophical systems. You know, I think of the Book of the Dead, and then when I look at Western ideas, that's where things kind of break down for me. But it sounds like you have discovered people who come out of Western traditions who have more useful and meaningful practices to engage with death. Well, we've surveyed many traditions, you know, north, south, east, and west, and looked at some of the commonalities and how our relationship to death becomes a transformational process and really can imbue life with a greater sense of purpose and possibility. So, yeah, that's true. And then because the Western worldview is so much based in materialism and rational kind of inquiry, we, re we really kind of dove into what the scientists had to tell us about death and the afterlife in particular. So a study that was being done on mediums at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, uh, the kind of reincarnation case collections that are being done at the University of Virginia, and uh, Peter Fenwick, who's doing some remarkable work in England looking at you know, what happens at death and near-death experience that can shift people's worldview. Uh, I'm also really interested in what's emerging as the convergence between science and spirituality today and the new mythology, really, that's being born or the new story that we're, that we're birthing together, really, and that is that there is a new framework for understanding the material world through quantum physics and that lens that suggests we're not simply billiard balls bouncing around on a table and when we're dead, we're dead, we're done, we're gone, that's it, but that there are ways in which consciousness may be something that is entangled and interconnected, and, and so science is supporting what the ancient traditions, particularly the Eastern traditions, as you mentioned, have advocated, you know, that consciousness is the ground of being and that there is something greater than our physical embodiment that connects all of us to an emerging new, new set of possibilities. And I find that really hopeful. Uh, and I find that, you know, situated in this very moment that we're living in. So that's exciting. Yeah, I agree. Now, I'm curious how important... Is it, from your perspective, and also just given this, this survey that you have completed in the process of doing this film, how important does it seem to be that we have some sense of continuing, you know, that well, something continues? 
Yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting. One of the things we looked at in uh, both the film and the book is both agnostic and atheist points of view. So really taking a pluralistic perspective, following the lead of Diana Eck at the Pluralism Project at Harvard, where she was really interested in looking at and appreciating, celebrating the differences in these different worldviews and appreciating them. So Michael Shermer, for example, is you know the head of the Skeptics magazine and mm-hmm. certainly doesn't hold any model of reality that involves metaphysical continuum of consciousness or identity. He simply doesn't believe that. And yet he holds a worldview that is very comforting for him. Uh, it's very life-engaging. And he, you know, claims and spoke very convincingly that he has no fear around that. So I'm really approaching this as a kind of meta-cognitive capacity to understand diverse worldviews. How do we hold that we live in a worldview, that we see the world through this lens of perception, that that influences everything, and that um, other people, you know, exist in their own worldviews, and that we're all kind of, in some ways, coexisting but walking around in these little bubbles of reality. Uh, And I think once we begin to understand that, that we have a worldview, that other people have worldviews too, and they may be very different from our own, um, that provides a framework for honoring and respecting our differences. And I do believe that one of the big crises in in our world is people's fear of death. So if you can get people to reflect on their own worldview, to become more respectful of worldviews different than their own. I think we can begin to look at what is the source of some of the major catastrophic activities that we as humans inflict on each other. You know, these holy wars that we engage in or worldview conflicts, I think can get transcended as we make peace with our relationship to death. Absolutely. And what you've just said there about diversity of worldviews and starting with the awareness that you have one, that you are in, again, I always use the term mythology on this program. Uh, That's a continuous theme that runs through Myth and the Mojave. I think that's beautiful, and I think it engages in what is the deep imagination that we hold. And, you know, there are so many aspects of our experience that are unconscious, that lie below the threshold of our awareness, and yet they inform how we behave and how we, you know, reflect on other people's behaviors. And so, you know, really coming to terms with what are individual myths, but also what are those collective myths, those kind of dominant worldview stories that influence us in ways that we're not even aware of. I I find that really fascinating. Right. Yeah, I do too. You know, and I have no grand hope of ever uncovering all of it but it seems to me that one way that you can really develop yourself as an individual and also you know liberate yourself at least from certain kinds of thinking if not from actual you know physical realities is to see what's around you through the lens of mythology as much as possible so you're not just hooked in to the unconscious tapes all of the time and reacting to that. And also to celebrate it, I mean, I think things like the Day of the Dead, um, you know, where people from various cultures now, but primarily it originated in Mexico, come together at a certain time of the year where they see the veil between the living and the dead to be very thin, and they celebrate 
they don't mourn, they celebrate. And there's mourning, too. I'm not trying to minimize or simplify the, you know, the loss that people experience. But there is a way in which we can change our relationship. And so, you know, the big parades and the creation of altars all provide really tangible means of connecting to that ephemeral, non-material aspect of our relationships to those who've departed. So there's, there's so many different ways that we can, you know, think about mythology and our engagement with it uh, that I think can help us to lead better lives. Do you think that death is a an experience that we will ever have any definitive information or answers to? Well, I think we know a lot about the dying process. Um, I think that we understand some of the basic parameters of what happens, and I think for people who are caregivers, who are, you know, at the bedside of somebody who's making a transition, there are some reliable markers that we know from observation and clinical experience. Uh, In terms of what happens after, you know, there are people who have great certainty about what happens, in which case then it's, again, a worldview issue. How do you know what you know? Uh, what are, you know, the nature of truth claims that can support or refute a particular model? I do think that the science today, if you look at the, the topic of reincarnation, uh, there's some fascinating evidence now of, like, these biological markers of reincarnation, looking at little scars that um, a kid might have on his head as he's remembering a past life of being shot, and, you know, and then them being able to identify a person who actually lived and who had the same kind of biography and profile that this young kid is describing. You know, there are thousands of these case collections now that are very compelling if you are inclined to be a rational, evidence-based type person. Again, it's the lens of, you know, our worldviews and what it is that we take as valid truth claims. Uh, And, you know, if you're deeply religious, then you have a particular frame One of the things I like about the Pluralism Project is that it doesn't involve giving up your worldview or your belief system or your mythology. It really just involves being more aware of it and and then being very respectful about other people's worldviews because the deeper we go with the varieties, the deeper we can go in terms of what has meaning and purpose in our own lives. And, you know, that's a powerful tool to have. Right. Now, you've been studying all of this for a long time, and so I'm curious if there's anything in particular that struck you or that you learned in the course of making this movie. Well, you know, there are different levels of that question. I think, um, personally, it's certainly brought my death awareness up. And I've been, you know, actively looking at my dreams and, and, and thinking about it a lot more and, you know, engaging other groups and organizations that are involved in something that is really shifting. I would say at a societal level that our relationship to death is, is up right now and people are talking about it more. You know, we have the death cafes and the conversation project and the dining with death and, you know, there are a lot of attempts to really uh, fuel a dialogue 
in our culture, and I think that's extremely valuable. And I think our film, Death Makes Life Possible, and the book and the educational programs will contribute to that in a way that I hope is really healing for a lot of people. Uh, so, you know, my own personal direct experiences, I've had opportunities to reflect on my own near-death experience when I was 18 months old and uh, was in and out of intensive care after swallowing lighter fluid. Uh, and, you know, I think that probably planted some seeds in my psyche that I'm not even aware of, but that it led me to an appreciation for this kind of conversation and the realities of it. And I had an out-of-body experience when I was um, 16 when I was in a motorcycle accident and, um, you know, kind of watching my body tumbling through the air after I was thrown off the motorcycle. And that, too, gave me uh, a kind of deeper first-person appreciation for the nature of consciousness and what does it mean? You know, is it just an epiphenomenon of our brain, a byproduct of our brain, or is there something more? And I think, you know, a lot of these experiences suggest that we are more. You know, that led me into a career of doing a lot of experimental research on non-local consciousness, looking at the possibility that one person's intention can influence another person's physiology at a distance and, you know, on under randomized double-blind conditions and, and finding very positive results there. So that suggests to me there's something more to our consciousness than, you know, than we're simply these machines, mm -hmm. uh, which some philosophers of science will tell you is what they believe. So, you know, there's different, and then the evidence, there's some fascinating evidence, and probably the, the most powerful piece of my journey in making the film is the conversations with these incredibly insightful people, and really talking about the biggest question, the thorniest issue, but with such heart and integrity and uh, authenticity that I just, you know, fell in love with everybody, and I think you can see that because I'm the host in the film, and it's in a certain sense my journey through these conversations, but it was uh, really powerful, and I've made some, you know, lasting friendships from it. That sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful, and this is probably a good segue then into the Psyche and Matter Symposium and the connection between this film and the topic of death and Psyche and Matter. Right. Well, we'll be showing it on Sunday, and also I'll be doing um, workshops uh, talking about how we use the film and these ideas around death makes life possible, uh, both at the individual transformation level, but also in terms of our relationships. You know, with the changing demographics, the aging boomers, you know, more and more people are having to care for you know, aging parents or children or spouses or themselves in a life transition. And so we will explore some of those issues and in particular look at how people can use the film, the book, the educational materials to join this revolution and really empowering people to become facilitators of these dialogues. And so that's um, something that's very exciting for me and how it relates to the topic of the conference is really this idea that there are ways in which we are fundamentally interconnected that Western science has largely ignored and that there is evidence from various scholars about this kind of interconnectedness. Rupert Sheldrake will be there talking about his morphic fields and uh, Stephen Eisenstadt will be there talking about the idea of the deep psyche and mythology uh, and how that 
is, you know, part of a collective awareness. Uh, and so our film fits both in terms of the kind of collective stories, um, as well as then how the data support the notion that there is something more, whether it's the cross-cultural data, the epidemiological data, or the laboratory scientific data. Uh, there is increasing evidence that there's a, a convergence between what we know as spiritual beings and what we are as material beings. And I think it's changing our definitions of both of those things, which is truly exciting. Yeah, I know from my own perspective, having come at mythology from as an artist and from a more poetic kind of place, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to be sitting with people who have been doing hard sciences and that kind of experimentation on these themes because, like you, seeing that this is all kind of pointing in similar directions without needing to codify any of it if you know what I mean like I there there doesn't seem to be any impulse coming out of the work of the people who are going to be at the symposium to create any new dogmas out of it it's more of a sharing of how these different perspectives are pointing us in really interesting and rich directions I think so I think it will be you know, modeled on multiple ways of knowing. So engaging people, I know Jill Purse is going to be there talking about chanting and the ways in which we can use song and music to transform our consciousness. And, you know, there will be a variety of different perspectives on the nature of these connections between psyche and matter. And um, so I'm just excited to participate. I think it's going to be a rich dialogue. I think that um, there are a lot of people who've been in this field a long time. So uh, my, I'm anticipating that it's going to be a deep dive for people to really get a, a good deal of immersion in these topics and, and, you know, figure out what are the best questions to be asking. You know, as you say, not about dogma. It's about figuring out the right questions to be asking at this unique moment in human history. And that's a, that's a real opportunity that we all have to do together. Yeah. So, Marilyn, how can people learn more about the film and about your work? Uh, well, I have a website, MarilynSchlitz.com, that um, you know I've tried to make as current as possible, and I'm a little behind. But <laughs> uh, and then we have a website now, DeathMakesLifePossible.com, that people can go to to learn about the ways in which we're taking this project out. So, you know, learning about where the film festivals are. We're going to do a limited theatrical run. Uh, and then the main focus is going to be around education. We're going to be developing educational workshops and online programs for people, uh, whether it's, you know, people exploring their own personal development around these, these issues, their own curiosities, or uh, whether they are professional caregivers. So we're going to be developing some programs for nurses, uh, chaplaincy program, hospice, and you know, really trying to provide some tools and resources for people that are on the front line of these conversations. So we're developing you know, educational materials for the every person and also then for those people who are the professionals in the field and you know, really have been trapped by an old paradigm. And so really trying to figure out how we can use these materials, the film, the book, to help change 
healthcare in America and throughout the world. And the exciting thing about this project is really it is global. I mean, it's, you know, something we all share, whatever our religion or our worldview, uh, our mythology, uh, we all are going to die and we are all going to meet at that place where we share a common humanity. And I see it, I just came, showed the film a couple of times in Taiwan, showed it in Sweden. Um, we just were accepted into a couple of film festivals in Europe, uh, Germany and Switzerland. We're excited about that. And, and so I think it's something that has a real global reach and, again, an opportunity to connect us around our shared humanity and really help to address not only individual suffering but what we're experiencing as a civilization right now and help, you know, contribute something to that conversation about healing and transformation. Thank you so much for coming onto the program today. I'm really looking forward to seeing this film. I feel blessed that it's coming to Joshua Tree. It's not, we don't even have a movie theater in Joshua Tree, so (laughs) (laughs) otherwise I'd be waiting for your DVD. Yeah, well, we're, you know, that's a little ways. Uh, I think that we will be offering individual sales, but right now it's more for community viewings. Uh, It has a kind of three year trajectory which is very exciting and you know eventually we'll be aiming for television and so there there will be lots of opportunities for people to engage and you know staying tuned to the websites is going to be the best thing because we'll keep those up to date and you know tell people how they can uh, participate okay so everyone out there the website for the film is www.deathmakeslifepossible.com and Marilyn's website for more information about her work, because she's doing other things besides this film, believe it or not, you're incredibly prolific, uh, is um, MarilynSchlitz.com. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to meeting you in September. I can't wait. Uh, Great. Thank you. Thank you for all your great work and and for helping to co-create a new story. All right. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. If you are interested in the Synchronicity Matter and Psyche Symposium, I heartily encourage you to go to the website, www.matterpsyche.net, look at the schedule of speakers, and register to join us. It's going to be an amazing, life-changing event. Absolutely. Next week, I will be talking with Dr. Jim Tucker, who's been doing work with children who have been remembering past lives. So you definitely don't want to miss that on the heels of this conversation with Dr. Marilyn Schlitz. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive.